The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? I am your host, Raymond Summerlin, and I am joined today, as I am every single Thursday, by Rich Rebar to discuss the Thursday night game as well as the most interesting data points from his weekly worksheet column. After that, we will hear from Nick Minzio, who has all the most important starts and sits for week two of the fantasy football season. Before all of that, however, I would like to remind you to rate and review the podcast wherever you find it. It helps other people find the show and it helps us in the rankings. So we very, very much appreciate it. With that out of the way, let's get to it. What's up, Rich? What's going on, Ray? We had a pretty good week one, you know, on this podcast. Uh, you know, we do have to pour one out for Danny Woodhead. Uh, oh, but so uh, the picks were fire last week. I mean, Woodhead still led the team in receptions, oddly enough. So we, we have that to latch on to. But everyone was good, man. Everyone was, everyone was good. Sam Bradford looked like the greatest quarterback I've ever seen throughout football on on Monday night there. Uh, I He put the ball wherever he wanted. It was pretty insane. I don't think I've seen Sam Bradford ever quite play like we did on Monday night. Part of it was the Saints, but that dude just could not miss, though. You know, we talked about it on the Monday podcast about how upsetting it is to see a player that you touted all offseason go out on the first drive <laughs> and do exactly what you expected him to do in the offense and then pop his hamstring is going to be gone for four, eight weeks, whatever. It's just... Oh, yeah. There's nothing worse. There's just nothing worse than that. Actually, there might be something worse than that, and that is the game that we're going to see on Thursday night oh. between between the Texans and the Bengals. You know, we were thinking about what we could do to start the show. Last year, we did news first, and we thought maybe we could do that again, but news in podcast form is not great because you know much of it's outdated. We record this on Wednesday afternoon, so much of it would be outdated by the time people listen. And so that brought us to the idea of previewing the Thursday night game. You know, most people listen to this during the day, get ready for the Thursday night games. We thought that made some sense. You know, unfortunately, we had this idea on the eve of just a horrifically bad matchup. And the over-under in this game is 38. Both teams are obviously coming off dreadful offensive performances, offensive in both meanings of the word there. Uh, Houston is starting a rookie quarterback who may be hurt behind a terrible <laughs> offensive line. They do not have a tight end, a healthy tight end on the roster whose name I've ever heard of before. It might be an ugly, ugly game. So you have to you have to walk me back, talk me off the ledge here, and tell me there, there's some fantasy value here somewhere, right? Please say yes. I wrote no players up as a trust in this game, in the, in the worksheet this week. Uh, is, it is 
a factory of sadness when you lay this game out and like just try to rationally play probability. Uh, you know, we've got Deshaun Watson making his first NFL career start on the road in a short week. Uh, and he's probably already hurt already with his ankle injury, like we said. Uh, the Bengals had five turnovers last week. It was an in-division game, but they were, you know, also at home. Uh, they're gonna. This game was also ruined Christmas for everyone last year. The last time we saw these two teams play, they it was a twelve to ten, just monster Christmas Eve. You know, pour everything out. You know, on the table there, burn all your gifts. Nothing, nothing good is happening, and. I just don't really see how you could really be excited for this game uh, at all. And this is unfortunate because this is the first Thursday night game leadoff. And everyone likes to complain about Thursday night football anyways being an island game. And this is what the NFL is going to start us off with. So it's a little dicey here. Um, I think you could still play like the regular guys. A.J. Green will probably be fine. Uh, you know, Lamar Miller is going to give you your 20 touches for 95 total yards. And you just hope he falls in the end zone. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be an interesting guy because I think people are on him because Deshaun Watson came in and targeted him on 48% of his throws last week. But if you remember, DeAndre Hopkins, this is like deja vu because he was in an identical spot a year ago against the Bengals in that Christmas Eve game. He was coming off against a half where the Jaguars were down big. They switched quarterbacks. Uh, and that quarterback just came in and jammed him with targets in like a blown out game script game. And that's really not going to have any rollover effect. It didn't last year. It's really not this this week uh, with Adam uh, Pac-Man Jones coming back. It's going to be real dicey here for a guy that definitely you like the target volume DeAndre Hopkins got. But he had seven for 155, just salvaged it with that late touchdown. Yeah, I do think the volume is going to carry over simply because there's no other, you know, there's no other yeah. option. Like that's, it's really that simple. Like they have Braxton Miller, Jalen Strong's coming back, but that's, that's basically it. I'm pretty sure even Bruce Ellington is out. So yeah. I think the volume's going to come over, but like you said, you know, the Bengals defense was not bad last week at, at all. They just, you know, their offense put them in terrible <laughs> situation after terrible situation. And, you know, I think that the Bengals defense is going to be fine getting back Pac-Man Jones. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not as high on Hopkins. He's still a start. I think in, Mm-hmm. leagues especially three wide receiver leagues but it's you know it's not great you like to see 75 percent of the carries basically from miller hopefully that continues alfred blue is out again they said they want to use deontay foreman more but i mean he was playing behind tyler Irvin, so i'll believe that i'll believe that when i see it and you know aj green you said tyler eifert i guess just because he has an opportunity to go in the end zone but the texans have given up 12 touchdowns total to tight ends in the last three seasons that's all three seasons, 12 total. I mean, there are teams that give up more than that in a year. So it is, you know, it's just not a great, not a great situation. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully we come out of this with some happiness, but I, I very much, I very much doubt it. So with that horror out of the way, let's, uh, let's move on to your worksheet, which as I hope you all know by now, it's published every Wednesday, rotoworld.com. It's something you should read every week before you set your lineups. So make sure you're doing that. Let's start with one of the surprise performances of the weekend, or at least it was surprising if you did not realize how bad the Colts are. And that was Jared Goff throwing for 306 yards and a touchdown in a win, which good for Goff getting that win. It was the first time he had thrown for more than 235 yards in his career. So that's a big accomplishment as well for him. Do you think he's going to keep it going this week against Washington? Boo, break up the break up the Rams, baby. <laughs> they scored 46 points last week. It was uh, uh, only the third time they scored 40 or more points the past 10 seasons. Uh, <laughs> like you touched upon, I mean, his, he threw for a career high 306 yards. His previous career high was 235 yards. He also completed 72.4% of his passes. 
Um, he also didn't just dink and dunk it. He had seven completions of 20 or more yards week one. That was the second most in the league behind our guy last week, Sam Bradford. Um, he had just 12 20-yard completions all of 2016. So, I mean, definitely now sure it was against the Colts at home. But he's at home again in the head coach, uh, offense coordinator, revenge game narrative uh, against an equally, you know, kind of nearly lousy pass defense. I mean, Washington has allowed nine 300-yard passers since the start of last season. Uh, that's tied for the most in the league with the Saints. Uh, and the, the play design was still there to get the ball out of Goff's hands. Uh, will he have a game where he's like a top six guy like he was last week? I definitely don't believe so. But I think that he is still going to be like a high QB2 uh, this week. And I think most of us are excited about the weapons they have in that offense. Before this year, if you said, well, what do you think about this offense? Sammy Watkins, like. Cooper Cup, like. Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett are, are guys that I think can be good offensive weapons. Sean McVay, obviously a good coach. So I'm not throwing this away as a one-off thing. Like you, I'm tempering expectations, but I'm not throwing this off away as a one-off thing, and you know we'll kind of see how this goes moving forward. Next up on the list is Ty Montgomery, who, I, to my surprise, and maybe not anybody else's, but certainly I was wrong on this, on this account, established himself as the clear workhorse for the Packers in week one. You know, perhaps that eventually leads to injury. He did limp off the field at one point uh, during that game, so we'll see what happens. But it should make him a great play while he is healthy, especially in this spot against the Falcons, right? Yeah, I mean, Montgomery's ADP never really accelerated all summer because we were kind of concerned about that that usage. And, you know, the, the obviously paired with the sickle cell um, ailment that he's got. You know, Mike McCarthy had given us the spiel about handing over the car keys to to Ty Montgomery before, and we've kind of had the rug pulled out on us. So his ADP like kind of always just stayed stationary all summer. But he let all running backs and snaps played in week one, so 74. Uh, he participated in a career-high 90% of the plays. The only time he came out is, like you said, when he did kind of had that ankle scare for a second, but popped right back in. Uh, in the seven regular season games in which he's played just 50% of the snaps since changing to running back, he's averaged 17.7 PPR points per game. Uh, this week, he's in an expected shootout with Atlanta, who struggles with combo backs as a defense uh, after allowing a league-high 14.5 receiving points per game to opposing backfields in 2016. Atlanta came out, and they allowed a league-high 23.1 PPR points to the Chicago backfield receiving, and they could have allowed another touchdown if Jordan Howard could catch. Uh, you know, if you landed uh, Ty Montgomery as your RB2 or your RB3 you know, in fantasy drafts, I think that that's going to prove itself to be one of the better deals of the drafts and I believe you can expect RB number RB1 numbers from him again this weekend and he's obviously going to be like the fantasy cash chalk this week at running back absolutely he's $5,800 at at DraftKings which I can't quite figure out I mean against the Falcons like you said use your use your backs that are good in the passing game against the Falcons and so I think that I think he's going to be great in that regard let's move on to New England pass catching situation which you know it's even more muddled with Danny Amendola dealing with a concussion as, as I recall off the top of my head, did not practice on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens there. So who do you think is going to kind of emerge from this pack and have a good game and a, you know, a great spot against the Saints? Yeah, I mean, Amendola's body is apparently made entirely out of Kevin White. Uh, but there's, <laughs> there's, there's reason to look at getting him in the lineups this week if he's active, and then I'll kind of parlay this into some Chris Hogan talk. I mean, first, no receiver was targeted at a higher rate per route run in week one than Danny Amendola, 47% of his routes. He had six for 100 on just 15 routes run in that whole entire game. 
Uh, second, the Patriots offense kind of died without him on the field in week one. Uh, the first offensive play after Amendola left, Brady hit Brandon Cooks on the 54-yard pass, but then afterwards, they had just 35 yards on their next 22 plays to finish the game. That slot role is vital to this offense, you know, kind of playing ahead of the sticks. Uh, third, I mean, the Saints allowed 22.8 points to wide receivers on the slot in week one. We all watched Adam Thielen carve them up. It was the most in the league. Uh, it appears that Amendola is kind of still up in the air, but as an aside, if he does not go, Chris Hogan is going to have to assume some of that slot role, big, large ball foot, because Philip Dorsett can only run straight and fast. Uh, you know, last week was kind of a reminder of 2016 that Hogan played a ton of snaps when he was out there, but was still a spotty fantasy contributor. But he has multiple avenues to score here vertically if he's selling outside, or, you know, like I said, stack that relentless opportunity in the slot if Amendola is unavailable. But um, e- even if Amendola is available, I think that you're going to want to look to play him, even though you have to watch and tear after every catch. Uh, but the spot, because the spot couldn't be any better to roll over like his his first game performance, uh, you know, from Thursday night into a matchup that is just primely ideal to tear up the slot. Uh, maybe get him off punt returns though. Yeah, I would. I would support that. I I was a little bit, you know, I was a little bit faded Amendola under the erroneous expectation that him just playing fifty percent of the snaps wouldn't lead to enough targets. But like you said, that that's. Not true. Brady loves him. Was targeting yeah. him a lot. If he comes back, you know, like it's going, he's going to be an injury risk every time he steps on the field. Sure. So that you're always going to have to live with that. But if he comes back, he's there. But I like you mentioned Chris Hogan. You know, you you mentioned Thielen running through that defense. Chris Hogan is well equipped to do the same things that Adam Thielen was doing. And so if Amendola doesn't play, especially and even if he does, I'm jumping right on the bandwagon. And maybe you get Hogan lower owned than expected at DFS because of that egg in Week One. Finally, let's hit on Charles Clay, who, again, surprisingly looked like the number one passing game option in Buffalo in week one. Do you think that that's going to continue? Yeah, Charles Clay led all tight ends in week one in target share at 32.1% of the Buffalo targets on its way to a tight end six scoring week to open the season. And this just isn't a week one thing either. It extends way back into 2016 as well. Over his past five games dating back to last year, Clay's averaged 27% of the Buffalo targets and 16.6 PPR points per game. He's been a top 10 PPR tight end in four of those five games. Uh, Buffalo wide receivers had just eight targets uh, in week one. They had 29.6% of the team total. Those are the lowest totals in the league. Uh, they actually had, you know, had a lower target rate than the Bears guys, uh, who seemed like they didn't. no one got targets. Uh, Charles Clay and Tyrod Taylor have found the familiarity with each other, and Carolina has allowed 12 uh, touchdowns to opposing tight ends since the start of last season, uh, which is the third highest in the league. So I'm going right back to Charles Clay being a guy you can plug into your lineup this week. They also... They gave up, I believe, five catches to George Kittle, rookie from the 49ers, mm-hmm. last, last week. So, yeah, there's, there are opportunities there for Clay, and I can't believe that I am saying that. Thanks as always, Rich. Uh, remember, you can find his worksheet column on rotorworld.com as we speak. It's up. Go out there and read it. Make sure you read it before you set your lineups every week. You can also find him dropping knowledge on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. Give him a follow. And I will be back with Nick Minzio in just a second. We are back with Nick Minzio, who writes Stardom and Sidem every week at rotoworld.com, which should be up by the time you listen to this. So make sure you go and give that a read. You know, after after you listen to this, after you get finished with this, press press the stop button, then go and make sure you read that. What's going on, Nick? 
What's up, Ray? Good to be back. A uh, little bit of a rough week one, but we're, we're back again at it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you could see Danny Woodhead going out, what, six plays into the game and then the Ravens running more in that game than they ran in four games last year. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that one's on you. That was a, that was a weird game for sure. Yeah. That was, that was an odd one, but you know, back at it this week, we're going to, we're going to get right up and we're going to talk about Cooper cup who preseason darling Cooper cup. Everybody loved him. He actually lived up into the, to the hype in week one, caught four passes for 76 yards and a touchdown. You think he's going to keep it going this week against Washington, right? Yeah, I love him in this spot again. The Redskins traveling cross-country after getting embarrassed at home by the Eagles. Coming back to face their old friend Sean McVay. Uh, cross-country trip, like I said. The Rams got an implied team total of 24, which is probably one of the highest they've had in the past like half decade, probably. And it's the 12th highest on the on this slate. So I like the Rams in this spot. Cup played 60, 60% of the snaps last week. That was second on the team. Probably would have played more if they weren't blowing the Colts out by 40-plus points in the fourth quarter and they got Farrell Cooper and the young guys in there. But Cup led the team in targets along with Todd Gurley. Saw all of them out of the slot, and Kendall Fuller covers the slot for the Redskins, and he struggled there last season. Played pretty well in week one, but Nelson Aguilar got loose for a long touchdown. But I, I really like this spot for Cup. Him and, him, and, him and Goff have awesome chemistry, so I think he's a good bet for a touchdown again. Yeah, I mean, go, using slot receivers against Washington is not a is not a bad idea. It hasn't proven to be a bad idea yet. And Rich, you know, earlier in the podcast talked about how much he liked golf. So it appears that Roto World is fully aboard the Rams train. Maybe we, maybe we can quit making those uh, sorry Rams jokes at Roto World at the end of the season. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe what a time to be alive, man! The Rams <laughs> the Rams are going to be three and zero. It's going to be fun. Unlike Cup, we unfortunately didn't get to see Cameron Brait in Week One, but. The Bucks are going to get their season started this week at home against the Bears. Do you like him in that spot? Yeah, he's probably one of my favorite streamers if you're streaming at the, at the position of tight end. Uh, he led the league in touchdowns last season among tight ends, tied with tied with Hunter Henry with eight of them. Really tore this Bears team up last week ten last week ten catching all seven of his targets for 84 yards and one touchdown. Uh, I know the Bucks have loaded up more more on their offense with Deshaun Jackson and OJ Howard, but. I really like Brayton this spot in the red zone. Uh, the the Bears just lost stud inside linebacker Jarrell Freeman to a season-ending torn pec, so that's a big boost for Bray. He was Freeman was PFF's number one coverage inside linebacker last season, so that's just an even bigger boost for Bray. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it. There are some concerns. You know, Howard has to OJ Howard has to be a concern, but everything so far has suggested that the rookie is going to be more of a blocker with Bray more of the receiving option. And as long as he keeps his red zone work, as we saw last year, he is going to be a threat for a touchdown every week. And at tight end, that certainly makes him a streaming option. All right, let's move on to T.Y. Hilton, who, along with the rest of the Colts offense, struggled, uh, to put it mildly, I would say, against the Rams. Now they get the Cardinals, and he gets probably Patrick Peterson. I, I'm assuming you're staying away from him this week. Yeah, I'm totally he, I'm totally off Hilton again. I mean, if Andrew Luck's not out there, he's just not starting worthy. He was wide receiver 51 last week, or wide receiver 50. And last season when Tolzien started, it was wide receiver 61. So he hasn't been a starter in the two starts Tolzien has made the past year. So I, I definitely don't like this spot for Hilton at all. Uh, even though Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay all did a ton of work against this Arizona secondary secondary in week one, I just still can't trust Tolzien or Jacoby Brissett to make Hilton or Dante Moncrief fantasy, fantasy usable at all. Yeah, I, it's about the worst possible spot he could be 
So I, I don't see how you can use him. It's funny to me that the Colts are are acting as if Scott Tolzien actually has a chance to right, right. start again this week after what we saw in week one. I don't know how they could, in good faith, like their fan base would should, rightfully should, revolt if they send if they send Tolzien back out there. So maybe Brissett, you know, he came in and did lead that I think quick touchdown drive, didn't do much after that. Maybe he's better for him. But yeah, I just I can't see using any of them. And especially if Patrick Peterson's going to follow him around, which which I would imagine. Finally, let's talk about Adrian Peterson coming off of a disappointing return to Minnesota, I would say. Uh get getting into a fight with Sean Payton on the sideline that both of them say is not a fight. <laughs> it was definitely a fight. So are you expecting much better from him this week against the Patriots? Let's just say I'm expecting more than nine snaps, but just not enough more than nine snaps to make him fantasy viable in this situation. I know this game has the highest total of the week, but the Patriots are seven-point road favorites, and if the Saints get behind, Peterson simply isn't going to play. It's, it's going to be Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, and Peterson does nothing in the past game. Obviously, the Patriots could come in there and blow him out with 10 days rest, and the Saints are on a short week, so... It's just wait-and-see mode for Adrian Peterson right now, and he's just an RB3-4 for me. Yeah, and like you mentioned, you know, we heard all of this during training camp and during the offseason. Oh, he's catching passes. He caught a wheel route in pass. Oh, he's going to be so involved in the passing game. And then they get into a game with negative game script, and what happens? Well, they play Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram a lot of snaps, and they don't play Adrian Peterson at all. So unless their defense is suddenly going to get a lot better, and this is not a game for them to do that, you expect them to be in negative game scripts. And if that's the case, I mean— you're not going to see a lot of him. The concern, obviously, is maybe he scores a touchdown and then then it looks bad. But that's I think that that's about all you're hoping for, right? Is a touchdown, right? Yeah, and it, and it easily could be Mark Ingram getting in, getting the goal line work too because they rotated in that spot last week. So it's just like going to be luck of the draw for Peterson this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's desperation, and that's about it. So thanks as always, Nick. Remember, you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Minzio for all your Tom Savage related gifts. He is Tom Savage Gift Central, right? Right. I think this this gift might end Tom Savage's career, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So make sure you go and look at that. You can also follow Rich on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. You can follow me, at RM Summerlin. Also, don't forget to rate and review wherever you find the podcast. And that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Later, Ray. peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.